You found strength in the face of Parkinson's. This is Andrea, your host and speech pathologist of My Voice Speech Therapy. Let's learn more about Parkinson's together through my interviews and our resources since knowledge is power and I love being an advocate for my clients while I'm helping them find their voice. I'm Andrea. I'm a speech language pathologist and I focus mainly on recovering voice for those with Parkinson's and I am here with a wonderful occupational therapist and she's going to tell about her services specifically occupational therapy in general and how that can help those with Parkinson's. Do you want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. So my name is Lindsay. I am an OT of about 10 years, also in Michigan, and have worked primarily in the adult neurologic community, everything from brain injury to stroke to, you know, any spinal cord injury and many Parkinson's patients throughout the years. I'm LSVT big certified. So I've worked with the LSVT program for about five years and have worked with a lot of folks in that. So that's one way that OT can kind of work with speech as I know LSVT yeah. loud is often a, a popular therapeutic choice for the Parkinson's community. I also run a virtual or a virtual platform on both YouTube and Instagram called Equip Me OT, which highlights medical and non-medical equipment and adaptations and modifications to help people stay safe and independent in their homes and communities. I love it. Sounds like we have kind of the same timeline or background, at least we were both in Michigan last five years that? working with Parkinson's. That's lovely. I love my OTs. And I love when you have the certification for LSVT big. You're right. LSVT loud is definitely something that I'm, I'm certified in and a lot of people around the world know of LSVT. I'm also certified in the Speak Out program by Parkinson's Voice Project. They're a nonprofit. It's a little different than the LSVT loud and big services, but I love the occupational therapy component of LSVT big. I love my PTs that do it and we used to collaborate a lot when I was in the hospital work for outpatient, but I love the background training that you have. Absolutely. And I've spoken annually with students about LSVT and occupational therapy because it is often more correlated with speech, language pathology, and physical therapy. But OT has a very strong connection with LSVT because there's a functional component. Mm -hmm. Occupational therapy is always going to focus on individual functional needs. So that can range from using the restroom to being able to swing a golf club. You know, we really kind of can stretch through the entire life or the entire day, the entire, you know, your entire experience and, and help you find ways to accommodate, modify, or continue to be able to do the tasks that you want to do. And LSVT does a really good job of kind of breaking down into functional components, which is something that they refer to a lot. So they break down an individual task like swinging a golf club into the small pieces that would require the functional movement to do it. And so OTs are very naturally good at breaking any given activity into each of its little tiny individual functional components so that we can find ways to keep people active and keep people participating in their daily lives. I love that idea. And again, that's exactly why I thought it was functional. I love the idea of the golf swing. Just <laughs> 
because the, it's the big motion that needs to happen. I, I mean, just getting to the golf place and getting into the cart and getting to that, you know, getting out of the cart with big intention and then swinging it big. I mean, I know a lot of people that love golf and that love to continue their swing and their game. So tell me a little bit about occupational therapy and occupational therapy for the adult population. So OT, occupational therapy, is going to be focused primarily on your activities of daily living, um, which is going to be any task that you do to get through the day. And this can, like I said, be oftentimes focused in the home. We look at dressing, grooming, bathing, toileting, cooking meals, you know, really how do you take the physical actions that you're and the cognitive actions and things and put them together to create function. And OT is kind of the bridge. I like to say we're kind of the bridge between the physical, cognitive, and the function. So we're going to help you get to those tasks that really matter. We're very individual focused. We, we set all of our goals directly around the person, their environment. Uh, and that's really where I specialize. I have a lot of time spent in home modifications and improving people's access to their homes and their communities through identifying ways to either modify, use equipment, you know, working through different therapeutic processes that have that focus on function always. So that's, we're kind of a, we cover a lot. And so we can get kind of muddled and confused, but I like to really, you know, kind of boil it down, especially in the Parkinson's community to that functional goal-based task completion. Yeah, I love that. Great. I was a part of a support group. I joined as a listener to a support group last night in Kalamazoo here at the Friendship Village. And they talked a lot about environmental changes and the ways that they can support themselves. There was a range of people that were there. They were saying that, you know, I don't have an assistive device right now. When do I start? Should I learn that now? Could I, is there an opportunity for me to see a specialist now? So then I'm more successful as we know falls and swallowing changes are kind of the primary reasons of medical changes with Parkinson's disease, then at what point should they start seeing someone like an occupational therapist? I mean, I find that the earlier on in the diagnosis that you start to see people who can kind of provide you with guidance and resources, the better. And unfortunately, oftentimes in my practice, I was seeing people after one of those events of fall a an aspiration event that landed them in the hospital for a prolonged recovery so they developed weakness and then we were being called in to see them now it's important to note that from an insurance standpoint that may be the only option to see an ot is once you have been approved and and but if you advocate for yourself early on and say i'd like to get as much information up front as possible and you have supportive um, practitioners working with you as far as your um, medical team they can get referrals out and OT um, especially for I think we have a ton of value to come in early on in the diagnostic process to help you um, kind of evaluate your home environment that's a great place to start you may not need a lot of modifications initially but if you have an evaluation done of your home we can help to identify spaces and certain layouts and things that may be problematic for you in the future as a disease progresses. Obviously, the goal being prevention, prevention of falls, prevention of ergonomic issues with continuing to do something in a way that's physically damaging over time, whether that's for the caregiver or for the person with Parkinson's. And I, I really like to have that kind of upfront because then we're doing a lot of prevention and keeping people home 
throughout their diagnosis versus having them, you know, eventually make hard decisions about leaving their home environment, which is typically the, you know, preferred space to to age in place in. So I I like to say early is best, but it's not always realistic, depending on what the financial situations and the insurance coverage is. Absolutely. That makes total sense. You can kind of think of it as a big picture. Like I want to be in my place as long as possible. I have spent the last seven years of my career in home health, which was through a couple of different agencies. And actually that's where I got most of my Parkinson's experience was in home health, as it was frequently requested by physicians to have a patient who was seeing a decline in function, have an OTPT evaluation in the home environment. So that is a wonderful place Um, I find a lot of people go to outpatient clinics for their physical therapy. I find that OT, it's places in the home. We, we really can't simulate your home environment. So, so yes, most of my work is done directly in the patient's home or in a facility. If they reside in a, a nursing facility or assisted living, or even an accessible apartment complex, I've done a lot of work in those environments as well. And that's, you know, that's my bread and butter. That's where I love to be. And I think most people will find that if you see an OT in the home environment, you're really going to see us in our most practical, where you're really going to start to see where we can give you most value. Not to say you won't see us in, in outpatient clinics, because we absolutely are. You'll see us in inpatient clinic. You know, I started out in inpatient acute care, as well as subacute units and things like that. But really where you see us flourish, and especially in this particular community, is in the home environment. Yes, I, I can see your face light up when you're talking about being- I love it. Going to their home and just like see their challenges. I love the idea of you saying the the damaging repetitive behaviors that aren't efficient or could hurt them possibly. So can can you break that down a little bit more? What does that mean? So I, I find that caregivers sometimes get put on the back burner. We tend to focus our attention primarily on the person with the diagnosis. And maybe we we neglect to recognize that caregivers carry a lot of the weight of the diagnosis as well. And so from my experience, as much time as I spent working with directly with the person with Parkinson's, I tried to mirror that in the caregiver. Because like like I said, with these ergonomic and damaging positions of like assisting with transfers. So say you're helping your loved one get in and out of bed every single day, maybe multiple times a day, doing that over a long stretch of time initially may not seem like a big deal, but five years in, 10 years, I mean, these things can be very physically damaging and result in the caregiver either no longer being able to provide assistance anymore and having to hire that out or becoming burned out very quickly and and starting to harbor some psychological and emotional challenges that really put a lot of strain on a relationship, especially if it's a loved one providing that care. So I like to make sure we highlight the value of having certain modifications in place, not just to support the function and independence of the person with Parkinson's, but also to bring in the caregiver and have them be just as supported. And again, when you can go into the home and do that, you see the, the very specific ways, because you can't simulate somebody's home with their four post bed and the bed that's you know super high up or really, really low, or this old bathroom that has you know funky flooring. And you can see all those things in person and make those modifications. And it can make gigantic differences in prevention for both the person with Parkinson's and the caregivers alike. Built yeah. and empower empower people too, right? Because a lot of people are super overwhelmed with taking on a caregiver role and empowering them to have the tools to know that they can get through it as well is, is very valuable. 
I love that. There has been a push to support caregivers to be functionally supporting the caregiver while I think you mean while you're working with the client yeah. with Parkinson's disease, you Absolutely. are able to expand that support to the caregiver by still focusing on the client with Parkinson's disease. So that's really mm -hmm. nice. It's kind of sounded like, well, would you have to do a separate charge for the caregiver and give that kind of coaching support? Well, not necessarily. You can still have the client as the primary source and then say, what are their support systems in place? Is it the equipment? Is it the bed height? Is it the caregiver? I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah. So going to their home is really valuable. I do that myself with speech therapy and my, if we are in a program for LSBT Loud or Speak Out, it's three to four times a week for four weeks. It's really intense. And it's so valuable for me to bring myself to them. So there's limited travel and wait times and traffic. However, the added benefit is me going into their home and seeing the challenges and seeing their inspiration for communication and requesting those specific items and putting that into play with the speech therapy so they can be louder. And so I can see them eat their own food and make sure that they're safely swallowing things. You get to see the the noise of the, the dog that might run into their way, like for you for physical items and the distractions that they might have. It's so much more relaxing for the client. What are some equipment that you might identify when you want to support someone? I know it's not across the board the same, it's very individualized. Yeah, so I have some favorites that I have used repeatedly with the Parkinson's population, one of them being an alternative to the traditional grab bar. So I find a lot of resistance to the installation of grab bars. Many, many people have them and love them. But I also find that some people are a little resistant to the idea of a traditional grab bar. But especially in Parkinson's where stability is so important, where having something to hold on to can provide that feedback that's necessary to initiate big movements. Having a grabbing point, especially in bathrooms near showers, near toilets, sometimes in living rooms near a favorite chair or sofa, things like that to assist with the getting up process. I love this brand, S-T-A-N-D-E-R, and it's called a security pole. And it is a vertical pole that is tightened into position using the concept of like a tension rod. And so there's no installation with additional screws. You can add screws for stability. I find that in most cases you don't need to. And it simply acts as a pole. And it has usually a pivoting grab point that you can move 45 degrees all around. It's a wonderfully oh. diverse use product that in the Parkinson's community, it's around, it's under $200. So it's not cheap, cheap, but it's still less expensive than hiring somebody to install a bunch of grab bars. And because it's a flexible use item, you put it where you need it. The key being you have to have a flat floor, flat ceiling, no bolted ceilings and no drop ceilings because it has to have tension between the two. But I mean, it's a wonderful product that I wish more people knew about. Yeah, I recommend them all the time. And so often people are like, I've never seen this before. So it's that's my like secret weapon tool that I always like to bring up with these. And, and especially in this community, it is so, so useful. So the security pole is one of my favorites. I love that. On the YouTube channel, there is a oh, full description lovely. video. And then, so the pole, it sounded like there was another, like, so there's a vertical pole and then there's also a horizontal grab. Is that yes. what you said? Yep. Yep. There's a horizontal piece and there's several different designs. One that has a fully perpendicular straight out piece. And then there's one that has, they call it the curved grab bar. So it makes like a, kind of like a letter B. And so you have multiple grabbing points. So if you're sitting down, you can grab it at a lower point. If you're standing up, you stabilize at a higher point. You can put them next to a bed. Yeah. So 
one thing with Parkinson's is we tend to, wow. over the progress of the disease, you, you see a lot of people start relying on beds that have elevating heads and feet, which are great, whether that's a hospital bed or more often than not, we're using, we're seeing those pretty low cost beds that you can purchase that have adjustable, but those don't work with 99% of the existing bed rails. And bed rails are super helpful for folks with Parkinson's to assist with the rolling and getting in and out of bed. But if you're using an adjustable bed, they don't work with those particularly well. So that's another place the security pole can come in is in a bedroom next to the bed to give a grab point. And this has benefit for both the person with Parkinson's and maybe a caregiver who is having to provide that physical assistance with rolling and getting in and out of bed safely. Something I'm observing a lot in the homes is that people are getting these nice adjustable beds, which are so comfortable, but all of a sudden it eliminates 99% of the bed rails that are available on the market. So just something to be aware of. <laughs> Definitely. And that's, that's the beauty of professionals like us. We have this experience. We have these trial runs. We go into their homes to really see the actual function. And it's really great to think about what do they do several times a day in their home and what stress do they put on their own body and what stress do they put on their caregiver as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. And another, another thing that I with the, specifically with Parkinson's, I see a lot of folks who transition from standard seating to a power assist recliner, which has um, a lot of therapeutic debate because of yeah. the loss of function that can oftentimes come along with starting to rely on things that lift you into standing position versus you using the strength in your legs to do so. Mm -hmm. I tend to take a much more individual approach to that. If the, and my, my rule of thumb is if you need a piece of equipment so that you can have enough energy to get through your daily needs, then it's something to consider. If the act of getting up and down from a seat is so demanding that it's causing problems for you and your caregiver, it's absolutely worth considering. Bearing in mind that it may produce a little bit of decreased strength, but overall, I'm much more focused on how we can balance your daily activities to accommodate the most quality of life as possible. So that's kind of yeah, where I fall in with equipment. I love that idea. So you're saying in those chairs that are basically recliners, but they allow the the, the chair to basically lift up. So it's a recliner that lifts all the way up and allows for the person to be pretty much standing. Right. So the debate is if the chair is using the muscle, then that patient isn't using their muscle right. where that stand sits a stand lift. But you're saying that there's some energy and challenge in the ability for them to sit to stand. So that right. might be supportive for their body. Right. It's all about supportive care. It's all about accommodating whatever needs that are there. I'm a big proponent of having it in place but not having to use it. So one of the things with Parkinson's disease is I've seen this happen often when they're doing medication changes and you'll see sometimes the medication change isn't agreeing with them and all of a sudden they'll have a decrease in strength and function for a week while that medication is being worked on. Having a piece of equipment like a lift chair in place for that tough time is really, really incredibly beneficial to them because they're gonna need it. But as the, as the medication changes, you know, figure out or you heal up or whatever it is that you need that for a period of time, you eliminate using that and you can use it as a regular, it's kind of like escalator versus stairs. It's like you turn off the escalator and it still stairs. You don't use the stand function on the sit to stand recliner. It's still a recliner, you know? So I don't paint with quite as broad a brush when it comes to those things, because I'm a bigger fan of having the supports in place for when you need them 
understanding how to use them appropriately. So with, with that's a very complex one because I think some PTs yeah. might come at me for that statement. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and, and just as a reminder, this is not medical advice. If you if you <laughs> are, this is just education, and yes. we do recommend those listening to speak with their medical provider. The one-on-one, -on -one, which you've touched on a lot here, is really helpful to identify your individual needs. Um, yesterday, when I was a part of that support group, they were talking about like, well, you know, maybe adding equipment to support that posture, and basically, it's that making sure that they stay in that upright posture and they just mentioned the urban polling company that has those walking sticks that are primarily for in front of you as they're walking through and just getting mm -hmm. that good posture and being able to exercise successfully without having a fall on an injury that so i love yep. that. having it there so it's a lot of awareness and reminders i could see how needing a check-in with someone like you periodically as the disease progresses and the caregivers change that would be yep. a beneficial item and to to catch those kind of things uh, to say oh like you weren't using that last time you know is it because What's of strength on? let's talk a little bit more about conservation of energy i saw that recently on your post on instagram as well can you talk a little bit more about conservation of energy yeah so the energy conservation principles are one that really facilitate the maximum amount of function um, based on what your tank holds. So I, you know, I, I know in the arthritis community, it's the spoony, it's the spoon theory. You have so many spoons throughout the day. And if you use them all on this one task, you're not going to have enough left. I often refer to it as gas in the tank. Like you, you yeah. only have so much energy throughout a day and each individual person is completely different from this standpoint. And it can be different from day to day. So having things in place that, you know, you can utilize to conserve a little energy so that you have enough to accomplish all the tasks necessary in a given day. So it's a very much a trial and error, unfortunately. We're all going to accidentally use more energy than we intended on tasks, and we're gonna learn from that opportunity. And that's, the, that's a big piece of this, is you're not going to put in a bunch of things and be like, nailed it on the first try. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm full of energy now and I can accomplish all of my goals. It's very much a kind of like, you, you, sometimes journaling can be really helpful and be like, this is what I did during a day and I was spent by two. And be like, well, okay, clearly you're using more energy on this or this task than you thought. And let's, how can we modify that? A big uh -huh. one right now and since the pandemic has been grocery shopping. So one of the great, like one of the biggest uses of energy that somebody can do, and this can be something that like affects them throughout the week, is grocery shopping, the process of getting there, the process of walking through the store, making a list, all of those steps, and then getting home, unloading everything. That is a heavy burden on somebody who has a limited amount of gas in the tank. Um, so I, I always, the use of grocery delivery services has, you know, cut that effort in half, or having somebody who can help you with that grocery shopping task. Make sure somebody's going to meet you at your house. If you live independently, can somebody meet you at your house to help you unload your groceries for 30 minutes? Just, you know, take one part of the task, save a little energy on it, and then see if that helps you to function better that day. Because I have folks who will grocery shop. That is the only thing they can do that day. You will not see them take a shower that day. They can't do laundry. They can't cook for themselves. That grocery shopping task took every ounce that they had. That's not, that's not a reasonable way to live. So that, I use that as an example because it's such a big, but every little task we do can be made more efficient if we evaluate how our bodies best 
complete a task. I know I use the example in my Instagram with like using a stick vacuum, you know, instead of a, a corded vacuum, not having to unplug and replug the vacuum in can make you capable of doing the whole job versus having to do just a small piece of the job or oh, having wow. having seating in your like I, I always I'm a big proponent of the kitchen and the bathroom stool have a small mm -hmm. stool next to your kitchen sink have a small stool in your in your in your bathroom sit for some of those tasks you'd be amazed how much energy you can save by simply taking a seated break for five minutes and washing those dishes while you're sitting down instead of standing it, those things matter and they add up over time yeah. and and a, and that's really where that concept, I think, can carry a lot of value for people. But you have to be very in tune and attentive to what your body is telling you throughout the day. So that's a big piece of this. This is, this is not an easy thing to, to get right on the first or second or third try. It is a lot of trial and error. And I think that's a piece of it that maybe gets missed sometimes. You go to like, oh, here's my, here's my handout with my energy conservation ideas. I'll implement these and my life will be changed. It's like, eh. <laughs> takes a little bit more than that right and I could see I could see people being inspired by that post I did see the stool in the kitchen close to the sink and you were washing the the dish and resting on that stool so it kind of inspires people and yeah. if they are at the perhaps at the early stage or mid stage and they are able to have that insight and they're able to assess if they need it or not and be able to journal through the day and then take a look at that day to see what areas could be improved i could see that your posts are very inspirational and that's one of the reasons why i reached out to you to have this conversation but I think you're right. There needs to be another level of kind of conversation with a professional in your area to say, like, am I thinking about this right? I'm now realizing I have an opportunity to change the amount of effort I'm putting into these tasks because I'm tired. And it's not just because of my medication or the sleep pattern. It's because I'm just fatigued all day. And I hear that a lot on TikTok, people talking about fatigue with Parkinson's disease and just you know, hopefully that can help them. Do you think the fatigue factor is the same ideas as conservation of energy or energy? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Right. Fatigue, fatigue is ubiquitous across so many diagnoses and even just mm -hmm. existing in this world these days is fatiguing. And I think we all benefit from understanding and being more cognitively aware of how we utilize our energy resources and, and just trying to be more, you know, more willing to make changes because that's hard change is really, really hard and you're not going to do it overnight. Incorporating equipment, incorporating modified strategies is not something I ever expect anyone to just like take it on and it becomes so part of their routine. It, it can take a really long time for something to feel normal and comfortable. Wow. And it's just it, to build a new habit, it requires so much time. So I, I love to show people some ideas and concepts that maybe can inspire them and get them thinking critically about their process and then from there we try to we try to work it into a, a habitual task you know make it habitual make it easy so it doesn't take extra thought to make something happen and i have found that the especially with the grocery shopping one once people get into the the habit of delivered groceries that might be the easiest one to kick off your <laughs> kick off your energy conservation because i don't know about I, you but i hate i hate going to the grocery store <laughs> 
I know, I know. And you mentioned like bringing it home and then unpacking it, bringing it up those stairs, putting it in and putting it away fast. I mean, there, there's a timeline that has to happen yes. for like eggs and milk as well. And then I was thinking like, and then you have to cook it for dinner that night. Yeah. Like that's, there's so much to it. And actually now this week or at, at these last few weeks, I've been able to arrange my grocery shopping um, outside of the days that I have to do these big cooking meals. So it's it's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know I can grocery shop and I know I can make a good cooked meal, but maybe not in the same day. Yeah, <laughs> just... it, and, and that's just it, you know, and that's energy conservation principles, right? You just didn't label it as such, you know, it's like, that's, yeah, how, yeah. that's how you gotta get through these days. I know I'm a mom of two little kids yeah. and my energy is, I mean, by six o'clock at night, I am like, don't talk to me. I need to lay down. And I realized it's because I didn't do a good job of conserving energy where I could so that I'd have the energy to enjoy my kids at the end of the day. So we all have different right. motivations for seeking that little extra. And I love, as an OT, I, I always try to to shine a light on the value of quality life and the value of doing the things you want to do. Because so often we put all the energy into the stuff we have to do. The gotta take a shower, I gotta grocery shop, I gotta cook these meals, I gotta vacuum. But we wanna spend time with our families and we wanna have the energy to do that and make that, because that's the stuff that really matters. So I really firmly believe that the value of putting some effort into changing the way we do things can have so much value in the end of, you know, this, I was able to spend more quality time doing the things I really cared about. So I'm very passionate about that. I love it. I love it. And I love the idea that you're saying that these techniques take time to put in place. Some are excellent to have in place like that chair with the option of lifting them up at some points. And also in the home that someone is surprised about with modifications. So a big one that I have spent a lot of time working on with individuals, and I imagine this is a crossover between speech and OT, is self-feeding. And with tremor management, this is a huge one. And I have been, uh, my grandmother has tremors not related to Parkinson's, but does have pretty severe tremors. So I've been able to, she's my very willing guinea pig, try out a whole bunch of different options wow. for managing. And it's it's pretty wild because there's a huge range of options for people and maybe they don't recognize that or realize it right away, but everything from the pricey, you know, gyroscopic motor-based silverware, like the liftware product that will help to accommodate tremors by absorbing the movements in the hand, which I've had some success with. I, I thought it would be with, with the price point, I thought it would be a miracle, but it's not. And that's just the reality of a lot of equipment. But some low cost solutions I have found to be incredibly effective for many, which are things like hollow medicine spoons. So in pediatrics, oftentimes they use a medicine spoon where the, the, the actual body of the spoon is hollow and has measuring guidance to be used as a, as a means to give liquid medication to children. Turns out that for self-feeding, especially liquid things like soups, very thin broths, things like that, where with a tremor is devastatingly impossible, aside from drinking it with a straw, which some people are comfortable with and other people really would prefer to use a spoon. And sometimes with, with swallow difficulties, a spoon is a safer option because you're getting a smaller amount. Those hollow spoons work wonderfully because it contains the liquid all the way to the mouth before it reaches the mouth and then you tip, tip the liquid in. So it's how not you, splattering. Oh, that's amazing. How, so t can you describe it to the listeners? Like, how do you get the liquid into that Howell spoon? And then so how do you... The, so the, the spoon is actually, it's a standard 
small. They're meant for children. So they're a smaller spoon, not like a big soup spoon. But the t- head of it is small. And then the body of the spoon, which would normally be the handle, is actually a hollow open. And there's an opening. So all you do is you would scoop the, the liquid and then tilt it. And the liquid would then drop down into the handle of the spoon. You would bring it to your mouth and tilt it back. And yeah. it, it's, a, it's a different motion. And that can take a little bit of practice if you're in one of the later phases of Parkinson's where you have you know difficulty initiating movements. That actual tilting movement can take some practice. There's other spoons options too that are partially covered. So those I've had intermittent, they're kind mm-hmm. of okay. Mm-hmm. The medicine spoons are just like 50 cents a piece. So I love them because it's like, you're out nothing if you try it, it might help you with a few things. It's also a good way to take meds, pills. Ah. You scoop them onto that because sometimes the little pincer grasp to grab a piece of a small pill is very difficult. So you can scoop it with the spoon, tilt it in, and then tilt it into your mouth. So I love s- small solutions that are low cost sometimes have big value. And we don't always think of them first because they don't have, they don't look as fun. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah. So another one is adding weight. We all, I mean, you've uh-huh. seen weighted silverware. If you've mm-hmm. every, uh, just about every Parkinson's patient has probably seen weighted silverware at some point. You can make your own weighted silverware. I had a wonderful patient who actually would tie her normal silverware and she had this black satin bag that was really lovely that was actually, I think, initially for for jewelry. She'd fill it with nickels and she would tie it to her silverware. I kid you not. And she balanced it such that it was like in the palm of her hand. So it added weight to her silverware without her having to do anything else. And this is the the ingenuity of those living with the conditions. I am not the professional. They're the professional. I'm simply facilitating and sharing what I learned. (laughs) But it was brilliant and it worked great to give her just enough proprioceptive input to help control her tremor, you know? And so it's amazing. There's there's so many ways. So self-feeding is one that I have spent a lot of time because there's a lot of frustration around. So- for tremor management. Yeah, and that's something that you can take to the restaurant too. And it's it's that tool in your toolbox. I love it. Oh, definitely the value of quality of life. I love that comment. And it's great to have technology nowadays too. So Yeah, it can be very valuable and, and it is it is something that I've been incorporating more and more into practice is how can we take advantage of new services and technologies to make life a little bit more convenient for folks who are already dealing with enough challenges. Do you do any like virtual consults or any kind of support in that way? I have during the pandemic, we incorporated um, virtual visits. I struggled to be honest as a, as a person who is very engaged in the physical space. I struggled with telehealth, but it is absolutely something that we're incorporating more and more because it is in demand. Um, so yeah. we're, we're in the process of adjusting how we do our work so that we can be as, as useful in that, in that sense. One of the ways mm-hmm. that OTs in telehealth can be really, really useful is in the process of the home evaluation. Using a video okay. chat function on a phone, we can get a pretty good sense of the home layout and setup and provide pretty immediate feedback about areas of concern, areas that we would identify as priority to make adjustments to, to whether it's to bring a loved one home from a situation where they've been housed elsewhere because they can't safely return home, or if it's just a preventative measure and somebody would just like some information because they've been recently diagnosed or, you know, are just thinking ahead, OTs can be really good in that telehealth capacity. How does one go and find an occupational therapist that's focused on these same 
areas. Is it any occupational therapist? So typically if you're seeking out an OT for home-based services, so whether that is to simply work with you in your home because you are homebound, you cannot safely leave the home, or if it is just to do a home evaluation, to evaluate the physical space of the home and, and to help you create a list of accommodations that would be helpful for you, is a little bit different. So when you're, you would seek out initially a physician who is willing to write a script for that. And if you are somebody who's considered homebound, that would qualify under Medicare services, as well as most other medical health coverage to have a certain number of visits allotted to you for occupational therapy. And they would come to your home and they would treat you. And there's a, a multitude of different home health agencies. And it's a good idea to do a little bit of digging because not all home health agencies are going to be able to support that type of service you'd want to ask specifically if that home health agency has an occupational therapist who is capable of doing home evaluations. There is, if you're in the state of Michigan, which both you and I are, there are a few extra services because we also have some wonderful, the HMOTA is the Home Modification Occupational Therapy Association, which is housed out of a South Haven area, I believe, but it's in Michigan. And they will send out OTs to service any location in Michigan to evaluate homes for modification wow. needs. Yeah, they're wonderful. And so they're, they are already, they have created a network of occupational therapists who are very tied to the home modification world. So if that's your specific interest, that's a great idea is to look for organizations that specifically support home evaluation needs. The certification you may want to look out for, whether it's through for an OT or for a contractor who may be doing work on your home, is a CAPS certification, C-A-P-S, which actually stands for Certified Aging in Place Specialist. They are going to have a background certification that provides them with the basic knowledge of universal design, accessibility, those types of things. And that's going to be very much focused on home modifications and you know, help you to identify people who are vetted in that area of expertise. So that's OTs can be certified in that, PTs can be certified, you know, anyone can get that certification, social workers, you name it. But it's a good place to start if you're looking for people that have that area of expertise. It can be out of pocket, you can may have to pay out of pocket for these things, but certainly know that some of your HSA funds can also go to cover some types of evaluation processes. It's good to be aware what your insurance is going to be willing to do for you as far as home-based and community-based therapy services. Yeah, good point. A lot of these sound really reasonable and easy to implement. However, it's really fine-tuned to their needs, their home, if they have a caregiver or not, and their environment and their physical needs. A lot of people right now are sharing that they've had deep brain stimulation for their Parkinson's diagnosis, DBS, and kind of how that's impacting their progression of these symptoms and to help manage themselves a little differently. As someone who went through education for Parkinson's disease, we learned a lot about how the insight is kind of impaired, their ability to recognize what's going on live in their voice and their communication, but in a lot of different ways, like the shuffling, not realizing that when they cross that threshold into that door, that their brain's going to give them a different message. And then they shuffle into that door and increase risk of fall. But with the DBS, I'm noticing a lot more insight and awareness and advocacy. Yeah, advocating for those needs up front is, is very valuable yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, if we if we as medical professionals, we speak a lot about prevention and, you know, being really aware of that, it unfortunately work in a system that still doesn't support that fully. 
So it is mm -hmm. a lot of times falls on the backs of the patients themselves to advocate for their preventative um, interests and, and recognizing that these are going to be issues down the line, but I don't have to be stressed about that because I can have the information and I can have the, the systems in place now so that when it happens, and, and I always like to point out, it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy to make adjustments before you need them. You know, it's kind of like I own a walker, but I don't need it yet. Well, but you have it so that when you, if, if and when you ever do need it, it's there for you. But some people get nervous, like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I own this thing, it's just me saying uh, I'm admitting that I'm going to get that bad. And there's a, there's a, there's a psychological component to that, that we have to all work through. And each individual person faces that differently. And so I'm always very aware of like where people are at in that phase of the process as well and how open people are to making changes now to prevent challenges in the future. I love it. I love it. And thank you, Lindsay, for speaking with me. I can't wait to share this information with a lot of people that would benefit from this, caregivers, providers, other therapists, and especially those with Parkinson's disease. So I definitely appreciate it. Did you want to review your website and your information? Sure. One yeah. So I, my website is equipmeot.com. And there you'll find some written information about various pieces of equipment and how to modify your home to make it more accessible. I also have a YouTube channel under the same name, Equip Me OT. And then I can also be found under Equip Me OT on Instagram. So I'm happy to respond to questions, comments on any of those platforms. And it's been, it's been a pleasure. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Yeah, lovely. Thank you again. And thank you for your support with those with Parkinson's, that community and getting this message out to everyone is really important. So Absolutely. I appreciate the hard work and it's really entertaining how you do it. So <laughs> that's great. Thank so. you.